listen to the Bard of Izmir uh, bat it out. You don't know who the Bard of Izmir is, do you? You don't. Well, you guys don't know anything, do you? <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> However, I'm sitting back in a cab today, you know, knee-deep in cigar butts, and I can't look out of the window because it's covered with crud. And uh, I, I open up the paper, and there's right on the front page. It's a fantastic story. I'm really digging it. Listen to this. May I please uh, lay this on you, friends? You don't hear this on the, on the Walter Cronkite show. The largest known creature ever to have flown, an extinct winged reptile with an estimated wingspan of 51 feet. That's the length of an IRT subway car has been discovered by fossil hunters in Texas. Now, that's a big, big creature. Wow. Uh, and it, it looks great. You ought to see it. It's, it's called a pterosaur. P-T-E-R-O-S-A-U-R. Pterosaur. You, you know what the pterodactyls are like. Well, this is a pterosaur. It's, it's really something else, man. The, the animal, which lived something more than 60 million years ago, had twice the wingspan of the biggest previous known pterodactyl, or winged reptile, and nearly six times the wingspan of the condor, which is the largest flying bird now alive. That's a lot of bird. The es- it's not a bird, it's a mammal. The estimated size of the creature is derived from calculations based on the sizes of many fragmentary and some complete bones found in excavations during the last three years in Big Bend National Park. It's in Brewster County, Texas. Well, now wait. Now, I, I'm reading this thing, and I'm sitting in, in the cab, and, and, and I say, hey, you know, that sounds familiar. That really does. And there's a picture of them there. See, they have a, they have a uh, you know, you remember the, the, uh, the pictures that they showed you when you were in the, in the uh, Army or the Air Corps or the Air Force, rather, or the, or the Navy. They used to show you these pictures on ID, uh, aircraft identification, right? And they were, they were all done in, in silhouette, and they'd show you this picture, see, you know, or F-8, you know, or something like that, see, right? Well, um, they had them in, a, in an ID-type picture. It's an aircraft identification picture there. And there he is, so you can see him. And he's he's beautiful, fantastic, big thing, and he's got a long neck that sticks out way out in front. He looks a little bit like uh, the SST. You know how that that Russian SST looks with the long beak and the drooping nose. And there he is, see, and uh, he's it's a beautiful looking thing. See, great big Jim Joe there. There he is, see. All right, and then they show you to to give you an idea of the comparative size of these things. Do you see what's next to him there? That is an F four fighter plane. He is much larger than an F-4 fighter plane, <laughs> which has a wingspan of uh, 38 feet and 5 inches. So you can see how much bigger he is than an F-4 fighter plane. He's got 51 feet going for him. And way down here is the pterodon, which is the uh, the pterodactyl they know about, which has a wingspan of 25 feet. That's the biggest one they ever knew of. There he is, see. And way down at the bottom, that little dot there is the condor. So you can see condor why, the condor could, uh, could ride in this guy's wingtip tanks. <laughs> he is some animal, see? So I'm reading this thing. Wow. It says, uh, you want to hear some more of this? It says, announcement of the discovery, which was made in the March 14th issue of Science, is expected to rekindle a half-century-old debate among paleontologists over whether flying reptiles flapped their featherless, leathery wings like birds and actually flew, or merely climbed up onto high perches and then leaped into the air, air currents, to soar like gliders. In any event, they were obviously airborne. 
In other words, did they rise off the ground by flapping their wings like a bird that you know of, or did they soar, which would mean uh, jumping off of a cliff and catching an air current and soaring? Imagine this thing 51 feet soaring. Wow, what a sight. One scientist familiar with the discovery said that the great size of the newly found creature might make it seem improbable to some experts that it was able to rise into the air under wing power alone. He noted, however, by the way, they also said for years, you know, they studied the bee under any known aeronautical laws, the bee should not fly. Did you know that? The bee's body is too big and too heavy uh, for its its wing structure. <laughs> so so there's something else going here. We're, we're not quite sure. You know, maybe the... Uh, there, are, there is one theory that the bee moves his wings so fast, in other words, he gets so much uh, uh, RPM going and therefore develops a higher torque and uh, develops higher horsepower than his uh, size of wing should uh, enable him. But then on the other hand, there's experts who say this is not so, that the muscular system of the bee does not enable him to develop that kind of torque. Uh, power. But nevertheless, he flies like mad. You've been hit by bees, right? You know they fly. So there's no argument. Anyway, he says it is virtually impossible, however, because they don't know how much the creature weighed. You know, they, 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 they don't really know whether it was a heavily mus muscled creature or whether it was just a lot of bones and very thin skin, and that's all. It says they don't know how much it actually weighed, so they can't figure out its aerodynamic properties. Well, now, I want to tell you, see, as the, 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 the piece gets a lot more, this thing has got a 51-foot wingspan. So I'm I'm uh, I'm sitting in the in the cab, see, and it it uh, it uh, you know I, it, there's a, there's a, a sound of great familiarity to that sound of great familiarity to it, see, and it suddenly hit me. Yes, they are describing a creature that I know about, and that you do too. They are describing Rodan. Yes, they are describing Rodan. Nope, sorry. You did the wrong one. I knew it. You guys are all off in there. <laughs> all right, don't worry. We're not going to have any tape. You're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. It was bum ba dum bum Now, why that came on, I don't know. Yeah, all now right, you do it. Now you do it. Now you do it, for crying out loud. Boy, oh, boy. You know, that's what happens. You guys change the shift right in the middle of the show, and then you all stand in and talk for 20 minutes. Nobody knows what's going on. What is this? You know, that happened to me down at television one day. I was doing a show down here, and we I rehearsed it with one crew, and the other crew came on, and they were the ones that did the show. <laughs> all right. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's called uh, union rules. They have very little to do with reality in most cases. They're just rules. <laughs> but uh, oh, I'm sorry, Jim. <laughs> you want to try that again? Let's try it again. Now, you got it queued up? Okay. They were describing Rodin. All right, everybody, let's dance. Okay. That's about all we can do around here, Bogey, is dance. We don't do much in the way of radio-type stuff. But uh, never, that was real nice. Uh, that uh, <laughs> Rodin. No, really, seriously. Do you remember Rodin? Well, do you picture him in your mind. How did Rodin look? Well, that's right. He was a giant pterodactyl, wasn't he? He had these enormous wings. Well, see, you missed the first half of the show, Jim. I'm not going to recap it. 
except to say on the front page of the Times today they have discovered the fossil remains of the largest flying creature ever discovered, 51-foot wingspan. There he is. In fact, there he is shown next to an F-4 fighter, so you see how, how much bigger he is. <laughs> That's Rodan. That is Rodan. This is WOR New York, speaking of monsters. That is Rodan. Rodan. Now, I, I, I you know, it, wouldn't it be terrible now if, if the next thing, you know, would be, in fact, it'd be great, really, actually, if, the, if they're digging away someplace down in uh, Utah in the salt flats or something and they come across the fossilized remains of Godzilla. You know, it existed 72 million years ago. And, uh, and the one I hope that they find, seriously, it's my favorite one. There's two favorite uh, monsters I have. Uh, uh, the Japanese-type monster, which is a very different kind of monster from the European-type monster. You notice the European-type monster, European movies, and we're European in this sense, Western man movies. The R monsters tend to be uh, uh, based on men. Have you noticed that? Frankenstein's monster is based on, you know, Dracula is based on a man, you know, a human. Uh, <laughs> whereas their monsters tend to be based on, uh, well, uh, well, <laughs> who knows? You know, <laughs> they're ancient creatures, is what they always say. They're always afraid that coming out of the sea. You notice that almost every one of their uh, their uh, monster movies has the same theme. Uh, it opens up with a shot of the atom bomb. <laughs> and then the voice says, Man dealing with forces over which he has little knowledge has set forth in action great forces that he does not yet know the end of great forces which can produce unknown dangers and oh, you see this great bubbling cloud cloud and then you see a, a shot of the sea right <laughs> and suddenly you see the waves part and out of the sea comes a creature that goes Yes, it is. All right, everybody, let's dance. It is Gamera. A little echo chamber on that would make it nice. Uh, Gamera. That's my favorite monster, Gamera. Do you remember Gamera? What did Gamera do? You don't know about Gamera. Oh, that's that's a that's an esoteric monster. Gamera ate electricity, and 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 he had to he had to have a constant intake of uh, apparently alternating current. He didn't need batteries. He had a uh, he he ran on AC strictly, and uh, Gamera came up out of the sea and immediately began to run around, and he was eating up high-tension-wise like noodles. <laughs> yeah, and it shows, shows one of the great scenes was, was Gamera uh, searching out this, this uh, great Japanese uh, AC power station, you know, all the Transformers and the great big signs that says, Hongaiawa, which means danger, stay away, 50 million volts. And uh, he was climbing up to the thing, and sure enough, he attacks the gate there, and down it went. And this giant monster started to eat Transformers. And the sparks coming out of his ears. And all the while, he would go, 
Boom! Ah! Boom! Ah! Quite a scene. I loved it, you know? <laughs> well, you got to remember that the Japanese have invented, uh, you know, they're, they're, their big art form today is the trans, uh, transceiver uh, and the uh, uh, transponders and every kind of electrical equipment uh, dealing with transistors and ICs, you know, the whole bit. That's their thing. So naturally, they would have a monster that would uh, proceed to do the worst thing that can happen to a Japanese, eat up his electrical transformers, you know? <laughs> Where do we come up with a, with a true monster, you know? I, uh, most people are not afraid of monsters, you know, when they see them in the films, because they seem to do nothing but run around the landscape and uh, chase the hero and the heroine. That's about all they ever do. But uh, the thing that makes the Japanese monster have a little extra dimension is that he has usually a motive for doing this. He doesn't just chase people around and get mad at them like the giant scorpion or something that we always... We have a few of those giant scorpions, giant bees uh, <laughs> that, uh, that lay it out of people. But uh, the Japanese monster comes out and he, he wants to get at the Transformers. And now the people keep getting in his way, naturally, because they want to watch color television and all that stuff. And, and the, uh, the monster keeps... Uh, keeps uh, tearing down the high tension wires and uh, that just gets in the way of watching canon you know and so naturally the populace was in great uproar uh, because of Gamera now Gamera wasn't after them he was after the Transformers now can you imagine Shepard had just come up with a great monster so you, you ready for it uh, let's see I'll have to take this name um, okay you ready for it uh, uh, give, give me I want that bump but on bump you are now going to meet a new monster which Shepard has just invented his name is Kazanka right, let's dance no, cut out the dancing business it's too serious friend we're not going to dance not with Kazanka on the scene and Kazanka see you notice I took a cleverly took a, a name that was a combination of a couple of Japanese monsters and also crossed it with Larry Zonka who's a well known monster and uh, so Gazanka comes out of the sea, and naturally, it uh, has to come out of the sea. Or either that, or he comes out of an unexplored recess of a lost cave in Utah. How do you like that, see? He's been lying dormant for, for 10 billion years, going all the way back to, uh, to the age just, in fact, before the age of the reptiles, before the Brontosaurus and the Tyrannosaurus Rex came on the scene. Godzonka was 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 uh, walking around and doing his thing. See, just like that. Now you you laugh. You say this is impossible. Well, they've discovered they've discovered Rodan. <laughs> so I say, if they discover Rodan, they could easily discover Godzonka. Now, what does he do? What does Godzonka do? Well, now Godzonka. First of all, he's he's an indescribably horrible looking creature. He's uh, he looks like. Uh, uh, he looks like a cross between a gigantic, overblown bat. He's an enormous bat. You, if you can imagine a bat, a bat, right? You know what a bat looks like. Not the kind Reggie Jackson uses. I'm talking about a bat with wings, you know. A great big bat with that real rotten-looking face. You know that rotten face bats have. He's a cross between a bat and a, uh, a slug. You know what a worm is? You know, you, that's an ugly-looking worm, right? You know, the little icky-looking white worm. Well, can you imagine this giant creature? He's been lying dormant in this cave in Utah. See, we're creating a, 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 
a, a Class X cheapie. Remember, it's, a really, it's not X-rated. It's just Class X. has a budget of $75, $80. They'll shoot it in 20 minutes. The film will run 107 minutes. So you can see how, you know, this is a, this monster. So this monster, it opens up with the usual opening. Joe, would you give me a little echo chamber and hold it there? I'll give you a cue for that. See, it opens up, and you see this atom bomb go... sound of that great big thing, see, this voice comes on that says the following. Mankind must beware. Mankind is experimenting with forces that could easily get out of control. And such an event as we are about to describe not only could have happened, but probably will happen in the future. Godzonka! And you see this great, you see this great big cloud off in the distance. See, the atom bomb is going up. They're testing. You know how crazy military men are in all these movies. They're always saying, we must test, Dr. Stringlove. We have to blow up the bombs. And boom, the bomb goes up, right? And so you see a the camera suddenly switches away from this bomb, and it switches to what looks like a deserted desert area of a far remote district in Utah or Wyoming. You see nothing but desert. And you hear the wind blowing over it with a quiet... You see the sand blowing, and you see a tumbleweed rolling along. And then, suddenly, the camera moves in, dollies into the side of a very rocky, rugged mountainside. You see nothing but rocks and cactuses and crummy-looking stuff, right? And you see bones of ancient horses where the settlers who have gone west have died there, and the bones still remain. And it's very remote. In fact, you could even put up a sign, say, remote, unexplored area, right? And so, as the camera, you let the people know, you know, you don't want to let anybody be misunderstanding this, see? Because the next thing you know, somebody say, hey, I know, I recognize that place. That's Charlie's backyard. It looks rotten just like that. I know where they shot that. You can't let them have it. So it has to have an unexplored place, see? So the camera moves in, and you see this, this cave, and it's all covered with weeds, obviously, see? It's never been discovered. It's got weeds and rocks and all that stuff. And suddenly, you hear, coming out of the cave, this, this sound. You hear the sound. And then the camera switches, and now we are into Pentagon. And we see young Steve Trueheart, who is uh, an atomic scientist, and his girlfriend, uh, Beverly O'Toole. And, uh, yes, Beverly is a biochemist. And, of course, there is the old professor. He's played by... Uh, He's played by Keenan Wynn. You see, he's in makeup. He's got this big white uh, wig, and he's got this big white mustache. And he is the old professor, and they call him Herr Doctor, right? And so Herr Doctor says, Well, I'm, not I, I'm just not sure that there is not something here. I know they have been laughing at my theories for years, but I will tell you this, that there was once an ancient creature who lived. I have a bone fragment who says that this ancient creature named Godzonka once lived. And... 
He could very well be what is terrorizing the Southwest. And of course, Steve Truhart says, come on, Professor, this is the 20th century. That kind of stuff only happens in Class B movies. <laughs> Just a little touch of irony in the script. That kind of thing only happens in Class B movies. <laughs> and then there's a quick cut, and you see it is night now. It is nighttime. And you are back out in the desert. The wind is now howling. And you see these two giant lights that are getting closer. And they're enormous. They're way up in the air. And you suddenly realize they are eyes. And just as you realize they are eyes, once again, it lets forth its blood-curdling cry. Oh, wow. Do you like Kazanka? I'm telling you, every one of you out there is sitting on the edge of your chair. You know, on the edge of the seat. You want to know what Kazanka does, huh? Well, we'll get back to Gazanka in just a moment first. Friends, let us take this little time out, this intermission, for you to go to the john and for us to play a few commercials. <laughs> All visitors are requested to leave the ship. Please proceed to the gangway on the main deck. Bye, have fun. Bye-bye. Have a good time. Oh, honey, I wish we were going to. Why be left behind? This year you can make the possible dream come true. A 10 or 11-day Holland America cruise to the West Indies on the beautifully luxurious S.S. Veendam. The very finest in whining and dining, entertainment and service, all with no gratuities required. Plus five of the nicest islands in the whole balmy Caribbean. Rates from just $595, with no fuel surcharges or price increases after you book. Sailings April through November. So see your travel agent or call Holland America 212-760-3880. That's 212-760-3880. The SS Dam is registered in the Netherlands Antilles. So many Grand Union spots, Joe, that I can do them. All you got to do, you shake me when I'm asleep, and I'll say, here are some more Grand Union buys at Grand Union this week. A fantastic sale on genuine fresh American lamb. <laughs> Mott's apple juice, 40-ounce bottle, only 49 cents. Oh, they're all groovy things. Notice I did that, I was asleep. You not believe it. Oh, I guess you would, right? You notice I can turn on that musical comedy type voice at any time. Grand Union! Let's see, uh, which high potency violent. Oh, I can hardly wait to get back to Godzonka. I'm telling you. Which high-potency vitamin... Oh, listen, this this plot gets even worse as time goes on. It gets more scary. So uh, if you're a kid and you scare easy, you better get the heck out of the room. It gets really awful. Which high-potency vitamin do physicians and pharmacists recommend most? Well, it's Theragran and Theragran M with minerals by Squibb. And the name Squibb on the label means that you have no doubt about the honor or the integrity of the marker. The maker It's one of the few things you can really believe in these days. Old Squibb. 30 free when you buy 100. That's their new deal. You get 30 
free, 30 free <laughs> tablets when you buy the 100 uh, box. So that's a whole month's supply. Unless you want to blow them all in one day, you know. Just get all vitamined up. They're available at all neighborhood Genovese drugstore outlets. And uh, speaking of uh, squib, we have another little squib here. Are you interested in vitamins containing natural source ingredients? Well, there's a broad line of squib vitamins containing these natural source ingredients called Golden Bounty. What do they have in them? Let's see. Natural source ingredients include wheat germ oil, cod liver oil, brewer's yeast, protein tablets, or preferred protein tablets, and powder in assorted strengths and sizes. So that's Golden Bounty products. And uh, that's if they like the natural scene. Uh, although nature's never been particularly good to me, you know, but with all that algae on my foot and everything. Check your Squib Vitamin headquarters at your local pharmacy or department store drug section, right? And uh, I think we have another goodie here. We'll get back to Gazonka here. Come on, come on. Don't get excited, gang. He's still lurking out there in that Utah evil, evil-looking desert. He's doing his thing. Sugar plum chicken. Smell of this. We're sure about our farm fresh dairy. Oh, I'm sure you are, Alan. We're sure about our friendly service. Of course. We're sure for the best. Get more of the best. When you learn to shop well, let's shop well, let's shop well, let's shop well. We're sure, we're sure, we're sure, sure, sure. sure. We're, we're marching forward. Get more of the fun. Onward, onward. Shop well, shoppers, march. Rick-a-tick-a-tink, rick-a-tick-a-tink, rick-a-tick-a-tink. Chock full of nuts, coffee, one pound can, 99 cents. At, at, right. I knew they'd get in there. Gee, that was an exciting spot. Let's see. We have, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, do you have another one in there? I thought. No, wait. Well, let's hold that for a minute there. We'll do this uh, dance with me bit here. Uh, dance with me. Now, don't take it literally, buddy. Dance with me. Broadway's new Madcap musical scored a big hit with it. They keep going with the same stuff. Anyway, uh, Dance with Me is a um, veritable pastiche of exciting music and jazzy dances, it says here. Kevin Sanders of ABC TV, and you know he's a very deep thinker. He says, uh, sharp as a razor's edge. Here's a grasp of a phrase, really. That's a clever phrase. Sharp as a razor's edge, bubbling with energy, and the most intriguing show on Broadway. There you go, Kevin. And Joe Franklin said, loved every minute of it. Mm. That's what it says. That's Joe. That sounds exactly like Joe. Joe talks like that. He does, certainly. It's at the Mayfair Theater, 46th Street, west of Broadway. That's com- that's dance with me. <laughs> it's madness. All is madness. <laughs> We'd like to offer you a rebate of $100, $150, even $200. And you don't even have to buy a car to get it. Because now, in a bow to today's economy, Saramar Beach Hotel on the picturesque north shore of Puerto Rico will give you a rebate on a luxurious resort vacation. Stay with us a minimum of six nights between March 1st and March 31st, modified American plan, or take one of Saramar's regular six-night packages, and we'll rebate $100 on your total single or double occupancy room bill at checkout, or $150 for triple occupancy, or $200 quadruple occupancy. You can apply the rebate to rooms, meals, green seeds on Saramar's two golf courses, tennis, anything. It's a great way to snap out of winter and 
snap up a bargain. For details of Saramar's March rebate plan or for reservations, see your travel agent or in New York, call 586-4459. Now, here is the Hills Food Report for the week of March the 10th. Cross rib roast, shoulder London broil, and new Bakerman bread. That's the news at Hills this week. All three are down in price, and that comes as a welcome relief to any shoppers in the special report. you short on fine cuts lately. Beef cross rib roast is 99 cents a pound. Coming right from now. Com- that's Command headquarters. 30 cents a pound from last week. But right over the rib roast wasn't the only bargain at 99 cents this week. The Hills butchers have taken advantage of declining beef prices to lay in thousands of pounds of shoulder London broil at 99 cents a pound. That price is down 40 cents a pound in one week. And nutritious Bakerman white bread is down in price. Three king-size 22-ounce loaves for just one dollar. Bakerman bread is new in town and is sold exclusively at Hill Supermarkets. Here are those prices again. Cross rib roast and shoulder London broil at 99 cents a pound. Bakerman white bread, three loaves for one dollar. If you don't shop Hills this week, you'll probably pay too much for food. No, you want to get back to Godzonka now? Well, I'll tell you, I'm 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 very excited about him. He uh, he's uh, one of my favorite uh, monsters. I just created him, and for that reason, he's my favorite monster. <laughs> I mean, you know how the ego is. However, uh, speaking of other monsters, uh, I I guess one of the most enigmatic and mysterious of all monsters that I have enjoyed on several occasions is Mothra. You remember Mothra? That's a fantastic monster. You saw Mothra? Well, there were a lot of mysterious oriental things in that one. It was Mothra was a gigantic moth, right? But the most mysterious thing about him was that he had, he had these two little two-inch high girls that sang to him. Now, I couldn't figure out what the hell that was about. <laughs> you remember these two little... Uh, these little two <laughs> yeah, they were two inches high, right. And they sang to the moth. Right, and it was kind of almost operatic the way they sang to him, and he would sit there, you know, wag his feelers in the air, and and uh, that was that was truly the inscrutable East. However, uh, uh, <laughs> either that or or uh, or the producer had this, uh, you know, pair of girls. That, well, that's another story, you know, because it just seemed to me that they were bringing two different stories together there. That you know, they're like Ethel Merman is dancing on the back of Godzilla. You know, you you couldn't figure out what 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 <laughs> what you're supposed to watch. See? <laughs> Barbara Streisand meets Frankenstein. Well, nevertheless, uh... <laughs> oh, oh, yes, you want to get back to Godzonka? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, oh, yeah. All right, now. Now, uh, where are we? Yes, that's right, the old professor. Uh, if you recall, as we left uh, last week's episode, seems like at least a week's worth of commercials we had there, right? Well, uh, as we left last week's episode, the old professor, remember, as we left him, was saying, Well, I know that there are things that quite could very well be that could bring back that great ancient monster which I have formulated in my theories, which they have all left us. Oh, they have left in my theories. That Gazonka, which lived one million years before the age of Tyrannosaurus Rex, could very well have been activated by the atom bomb tests which have been going on out in Utah. Now, they have left when I said that, but they have left many times in the past. They left at Leonardo da Vinci. They left at the Wright brothers. They left at Johnny Carson when he first came on. But look at it now. I will tell you, I say this could be what is happening out there. And then as we left, you remember, we heard this uh, this strange eerie sound with these two headlights 
what appeared to be headlights approaching high in the air over the darkened deserts of the most remote part of Utah. The sound we heard was... Fantastic sound. And um, we knew something was happening, right? I mean, even the dumbest viewer knew that there was something going on when you hear sound like that and you see these two lights approaching, right? Now, the camera switches and we see... Strangely enough, you see, most things are never explained in these uh, monster movies. We see now Steve Truehart and his girlfriend, uh, Barbara O'Toole, was that her name? Yes, Barbara O'Toole, the young chemo, biologist, psychologist, astrologist. Uh, she is sitting next to him in a car. It, it appears to be a 57 Ford. All of these people drive around in 57 two-tone Fords. You notice that? Two-door, see? And they're driving along mysteriously on the darkened road of Utah. We have just left them in the Pentagon, and here we are. They are now driving on this road. And Steve is saying to Barbara, he says, you know, that was really a silly thing that the professor said to us. Why, you and I are both part of the 20th century. We know that no monster of the type that he described could exist in the 20th century. That is a ridiculous superstition. Poor old professor is probably going bonkers, right? He is losing his marble. And she says to him, well, I don't know, Steve. You know, many people have laughed at him in the past. You remember when he came out with that theory about the worms that ate the light bulbs and everyone laughed at him? And then those worms ate all the light bulbs in the A&T outside of Passaic. You remember that? Well, I'm not taking his predictions that lightly, Steve. Well, Barbara, you can be assured that as a biologist, I have been highly trained by the U.S. Army and by UCLA to know that no such creature as Godzonka exists. And now they go around the corner. See, they're in the mountains. Somehow they're in the mountains. He never explains this. Class B movies never explain anything, you know. He just goes around the corner, and he sees these two headlights high in the air coming at him from a far distance, and we hear the sound. <laughs> now, the camera instantly now switches back to the Pentagon, and we see the old professor is sitting at his desk. And he is surrounded by dusty books, and it's played by Keenan Wynn, you know. He plays all the old professors in these movies. And uh, Keenan Wynn has got this white wig on. He's got this white fake mustache, which keeps slipping. You see, it, uh, that's the trouble with Class B movies. They never can overshoot. You can't shoot another scene once his mustache comes down. It comes down. He has to add live around. Well, my mustache has come off. Maybe it is, again, once again, it is atomic radiation from the monster. Well, he's sitting here now, and he is worrying. And he is talking into the telephone. Now, remember, he's an old professor. And since he's an old professor, he is an old-type telephone. You know the kind that, uh, that uh, Jimmy Cagney's always talking in the gangster movies? Yes, the kind where you hold it up like this. And he is saying, Well, I do not know. I am worried about the trip that they are taking. I told them that could possibly be that Kazonka was Ray and was ravaging the countryside in Utah due to the atomic bomb test. You know, man has been experimenting with forces which could turn loose evil creatures upon the earth. Man is dealing with things which he was never designed to deal with. I have been telling them for years. What do you say? You mean they took off? They are on their way out there? But why? There are McDonald's in this neighborhood. Why are they going there? Great Scott, we must get in touch with them as soon as we can. Get the state police. Uh, contact the, the, the Boy Scouts. Contact everybody out there. Because 
Who knows? But they may be the next victim of Kazanka. Cut, you see, just like that. Good God. And we see now, we, we switch now to who, who are we switch? We're switching now quickly to uh, Forrest Tucker. You know Forrest Tucker, right? Forrest Tucker is playing the grizzled police chief. He has just put, you see him hanging up. He's been talking to the professor, see? And he's got a big hat on. He's obviously the Utah police chief. They have big police chiefs out there, you know. They're in charge of everything, see? And he's hanging up, and he turns to his assistant. And the assistant it was, it was played by Brandon DeWilder, see? And he turns to his assistant, and he says, oh, I just got another one of them crackpot calls, you know? This, this guy claims he's a professor, and he says we ought to get out and do something about that thing that's hollering around out in the desert. As far as I'm concerned, it's just some kind of a jet airplane they're testing out there. And I ain't going to get the police out at this hour. What kind of a crackpot is that? And he, at that point, he laughs, see? He spits into his spit to him. And now, here, we, here, here we're getting into the, the plot, see? We switch back now, and we're in the darkness. And we see Steve. We see Steve leaping out of his car. That's right. Bring it in. Come on. Don't be, don't 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 give him instructions there, Mark. He leaps out of his car, and as he leaps out of his car, we see the monster, the giant monster, Gazanka, approaching. We can't really tell how he looks yet because we can only see these great eyes, tremendous eyes. And he grabs Barbara, and he says, "Barbara, great Scott, good God, what is it? Only us, you." and me stand between the destruction of all mankind. We must come up with a solution. The professor was right. It is Gajanka. And we hear... And he's getting closer and closer. And then a sign comes up on a screen that says, tune in again next week at this same time for the solution and the end of the thrilling chapter... Number 422 of Gazanka Strikes Again. If you want to hear the rest of this, friends, you're going to have to listen in tomorrow night. That's just the way it is. That's the way the ball bounces, buddy. I don't give a damn if you're bowling or not. what Gazanka is after. He is not after Steve or Barbara. He's got bigger things in mind, gang. That threatens the well-being of mankind all over the world. 